much that we can uh, gather as your people. Uh, that may we not take uh, for granted uh, the amazing privilege that we have to join in as the people of God and to be welcomed into uh, the presence of our Father in heaven. We thank you that as we worship you, not only do our souls find strength, but we encourage one another and we allow each other to reinforce the message that we're hearing uh, through hearing the praises of other people lifted up beside us. Thank you that this is our blessing. Thank you that you invite us to worship in order that we might be strengthened. Whenever we worship, when we truly encounter the living God, we are changed. And so we thank you that the purpose of us gathering is in order that we might become more like Christ. And that as we hear the word and as we hear testimony, that we would be equipped in a deeper way so that we could go out of here to transform the world that you've called us to live in. Thank you that uh, you've been doing that. You've been doing that organically, and you've been doing that institutionally as a church. You've been doing that through our children's ministry and our youth ministry, through our house churches and through different classes and different prayer gatherings and worship services. Thank you that all that, um, in order that we might grow as a church, as a congregation, in order that we might uh, raise up house church shepherds and raise up teachers, to raise up elders like Eugene Kwok and Chris Lee, to be chartered as a church in order that we could continue to grow in the depth of our spirituality, and by doing so, that our hearts would beat for the things that beat yours, and Lord willing, that we would add to our number the lost who are being saved and discipled and to grow in order that they might build your kingdom as well. Thank you, Father, that this is what you call us to do. Thank you that we have friends who are in other places around the world who are doing that, near and abroad. We thank you for them as we lift them up unto you. We pray that during this Christmas season, for those who are ministering faithfully, that you would give them inspiration to creatively bring the message of Christmas to those that they're serving. And for those who feel a sense of deep loss in the midst of celebrating Christmas amongst the people who don't celebrate it, or in the midst of celebrating Christmas in a foreign land apart from their loved ones and family, for those who celebrate Christmas and are seeking to be faithful in their worship and their witness uh, in the midst of challenge and hardship and sorrow this year, Lord, would you comfort them? We pray for folks like James and Lauren Kim, for Keshla, for Danny Chen. We pray that you would minister deeply to each of them during the season of Christmas. We pray for folks like David and Carolyn Zimmer who have left the mission field now and are uh, moving on to a different season of life that you would minister to them. Father, we pray for our workers and our friends who are in places like Thailand and in places like Kyrgyzstan, in places like Vietnam and, and, and Hawaii as they prepare to go to Taiwan. We thank you for the work that you're doing amongst our workers in Japan and in China, amongst the Uyghur people, and uh, places um, all around the world. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our friends who serve in Ecuador and uh, who serve in Jordan and, and Turkey and Spain and Cameroon and all around the world. We thank you that in Australasia, we have friends who have just uh, finished up a pretty massive surgery, one, uh, to remove a growth uh, from the eyes, and then number two, uh, with brain aneurysms, two of them that need to be clipped and just a very invasive surgery. We pray for David and Julie that you administer to them during these times that indeed their eyes be fixed on you in order that in doing the work of ministry that they would be strengthened. Father, we know that those who serve you in many different ways will experience the battle in the spiritual realms in ways that uh, many others will not feel or understand. We pray for your protection over all your kingdom workers, for all of your missionaries and shepherds and pastors and elders and leaders around the globe that you administer deeply to them. 
that as we celebrate the birth of Christ, Christmas, in this inbreaking of the Son of God into this massive cosmic spiritual war, Lord, may we put on the full armor of God that we might worship you and pray in order that we might stand and having done all that to stand and to bring others into the hope of Christ as well. Lord, we will look into your word and hear from you now as we hear also a testimony from one of our young brothers, Nathan Cho, who recently uh, confirmed. <laughs> okay, so what happened was right before service, Eugene asked me, hey, what grade is Nathan in? So he was talking with a different young man named Nathan in the cafe during our prayer meeting. And so I said, oh, he's a freshman at UF. And, and Eugene kind of looked up like, ah, wow, like time flies. And then, so miscommunication, uh, our fault, my fault. Hey, um, last week, Eugene and Chris Lee were installed and ordained as elders of our, yeah, of our congregation, of our church. Um, you saw Eugene. Can you guys just stand up real quick and, and turn around and do a 360 and do your, um, yeah. That's good. One of the things that uh, our congregation said during that ordination service is that you promised to support um, Chris and Eugene, and even when Eugene gets your age and <laughs> your uh, school wrong, uh, we will continue to support and pray for him. Amen. So continue to do that. Uh, January 16th, 4 p.m., uh, we will be having a chartering service where we are uh, officially uh, chartered out as an independent church, so please be in prayer for that. I uh, would love for you to um, yeah, be part of something as momentous and, and amazing as that. Um, this Saturday is Christmas, 10.30, we'll be worshiping in our vision sanctuary, so um, not only presentations, but Pastor Josiah, our youth pastor, will be sharing uh, the Word of God with us as we sing songs of praise and worship in celebration of Christmas, so please do uh, make it a point to be there and uh, begin the day in worship. Christmas is a celebration of a birth of a child, a uh, birth of a child, and a child that would not only change the world, but before she changed the world, he changed the life of one particular young lady pretty significantly. Um, birth of any child, any child that's born is going to be, uh, for lack of a better word, and I don't mean to say this in a negative sense, but it's a, it's a disruptive event in the life of a mother, in the life of whomever is connected to that child. When a child is born, there are books called What to Expect When You're Expecting, but as many as these kinds of books as you can read, it will never really fully prepare you for what to expect when that child comes. I remember after two, three days in the hospital when we were driving home, I was like, holy cow, what do we do now? Like, the nurses had been doing everything for us. Doctors had been doing everything. Now it's like, hey, here you go. And I had no idea, no idea. When a child enters into your world, enters into your life, everything changes. Your diet begins to change. Like you begin to eat stuff that dissolve in your mouth. The people that you hang out with begin to change. The way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the amount of sleep you get begins to change. I, 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 I have been saying this in different contexts, but um, the way that you eat your food changes. It wasn't until about our oldest kid had become eight or nine years old that Olivia left the kids alone with me, three of them, and then she went out with another sister to eat pho, and as they were eating, she, Olivia, ate this fun. She's like, oh my gosh, I don't remember the last time I've had hot pho before. And the single lady across from her was like, oh my gosh, I never realized that you always have to feed your kids before you feed yourself. And she had not had, everything about life begins to change. 
It is a disruptive event unlike anything else that you could ever go through in life. And especially when that pregnancy is unplanned, it can particularly have a jarring effect on your life. We had uh, a mother who had her first child. It was an unplanned pregnancy, uh, unexpected pregnancy. They were married, but they weren't expecting to have children so fast. And what she said when she brought the child home, she said, this was a rude awakening is the language that she used. This is a rude awakening. Nothing could have prepared us for that which was to come. Well, if that's the way it was for the birth of any child, then the birth of the Christmas child was a most disruptive event. What we're going to do is we're going to look into the Word of God because something happens when things don't go as planned for the people of God. When things don't go as planned, the temptation is for us to look for somebody to blame. Perhaps it was... I don't know your husband for whatever it was that got me pregnant, or maybe it was because of this person who encouraged my, you know, my, my friends to say, hey, you know what, you need to have, whatever it is, we look for somebody to blame, and as Christians, the most natural person to blame when the things of life go astray or don't go as planned, the natural tendency is for us to begin to blame God, to say, God, why did this happen to me? Why did you do it this way? This is not the way it was supposed to happen. And as far as the enemy Satan is concerned, this is the oldest trick in the book. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, the first temptation, the original temptation was to cause him to question the goodness of God. Satan slid up to Adam and even said, did God really say that? I can't believe he would say that to you. Did he really say don't eat from any tree? Did he really say that? Because the only reason he said don't eat fruit from that tree is because he knows that if you eat it, you're going to become like him. He's holding out. He's not really that good, is he? The oldest temptation in the book. And for many of us, we fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. We give in to that temptation. When things don't go the way we think life ought to go, we begin to question God. We may not blame him, but we question him. We say, God, do you see me? Do you really, be- do, do you really have my best interest? Are you really that good? We can ask questions like that. As we're in this series in the book of Luke on three wise women of Christmas, we're going to come to a woman whose life certainly didn't go as planned. She was a teenager, probably between 14 to 16 years of age, is what most commentators say, and she faced an incredibly disruptive moment in her life that would lead to the first Christmas. And her response betrays a wisdom far beyond scholarship far beyond her years. We're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus, Luke chapter 1, verses 26, uh, verse 26 until verse 38, and then we'll keep on reading some other uh, verses in chapter 1. This is the Word of God for the people of God. He says, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married, betrothed to be married is the ancient language, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, as we would be if an angel rolled up into our crib. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And the angel left her. This is God's word. You don't have to be old to be wise, as Nathan said. Wisdom is not about age. It's about scholarship. It's, about, it's not about scholarship. It's about obedience. Um, there was, well, before Ms. Jeannie Kim became our children's ministry director, she was a single lady living in the Penn State area, I believe, and uh, she was set up on a date with a uh, young graduate student from Penn State named Jonguk Kim. And so they went out on a date and uh, didn't know each other, but uh, she said, oh my gosh, this is really fun. This was really good. I like this guy and it seems like he likes me back and maybe there's some future here. There's some potential. And so he said afterwards, um, this was a good time. I will give you a call tomorrow. She said, okay. And she was really excited. And so they went their own ways and tomorrow came and Miss Jeannie was waiting for that phone call, waiting, waiting, waiting. When is he going to call? When is he going to call? Evening turned into night, night turned into late night, late night turned into morning, and he still hadn't called, and she's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Maybe he was busy. Maybe he forgot. He's a grad student. Something must have happened, and so she went to sleep, hoping, expecting, longing, waiting for the phone call the next day, but the next day came, and the next day went. Still no phone call. She's starting to think some bad thoughts about this guy. You just have the common courtesy to tell me that you don't want to go on another date, but at least tell me the next day, third day came, and the third day went without a call. Fourth day came, and fourth day went, and at this point, she said, even if he calls me, I ain't going out with him again. I'm going to give him his business, is what she said in her Korean. So here she goes. Finally, after a week or so, she gets a phone call from Jong-woo Kim. He gets the phone, and she says, hello, and he's like, hello, as if nothing happened. And she's like, how could you act like nothing happened? I thought you said you were going to call me. He said, oh, I did. And she was like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear from you ever again. I don't want to go out with you ever, ever again. And he's like, wait, 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 why? Why? What happened? And she's like, you didn't call. You said you were going to call. And then he had this story. So the story goes, he was about to call her on the phone, but as he was, yeah, he's a grad student, he's a bachelor, he was washing rice in his sink and his cell phone fell into the rice bowl with water. And so he grabbed his phone, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's dead, it's dead. And he tried to dry it out, dry it out, dry it out. He's supposed to dry it with rice, apparently, but not when the rice is wet. He's trying to shake it out, dry it out, nothing's happening. Tries to turn it on. He lost all of his contacts. He doesn't have her phone number. He did like her. He liked her a lot. He wanted to call her. But there was more to the story that she didn't see. And when we don't see the rest of the story, sometimes we can judge a person's character and their heart for us by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The most important thing in our mental map, some people have said, is our view of God. What do you think about God? Because here, a lot of times, we don't have the full picture, but what we do is we begin to judge God based on our circumstances, and when things don't work the way we think they ought to, and when things don't work according to our timeline, 
the natural tendency in the heart of a human being is to question the one from whose hand we have received this. And so the temptation is for us to begin to question and doubt, are you really, are you really for me, God? Do you really care for me? Do you really love me? It would have been very easy for that to happen with Mary, but Mary shows wisdom in her actions. And so what we're going to see is two things, okay? Number, uh, two things. Number one, the first thing we see is this. Here's what wisdom is, okay? Wisdom is believing that God is good, okay? Believing that God is good, okay? Get that in your mind. This is wisdom. It's believing that God is good. And here's the result. So that you can trust God when life gets hard. Okay, that's wisdom. See, life is going to get hard at different moments in life. Things aren't going to go the way that Things aren't going to go the way that they, uh, you think they ought to go. Someone who should know you, your distant cousin, ought to know that you're not a freshman at the University of Florida. He should know these kinds of things, but he does. sometimes life won't go the way that we plan. And in that moment, the question is, do you believe that God is good? Because if you do, then you'll be able to trust God. So here's Mary. Here's Mary. She gets this moment in her life. It says that she was pledged to be married to a man. She's betrothed to be married to a man. Now, we understand that throughout history, looking back at 2,000 years of history, we understand the prominent role that Mary has and the gift of grace it is that an angel visits her in order that through her, the Savior of the world would be born. We even understand this because if you remember me saying this a couple years ago, our littlest daughter, Elise, was chosen at her preschool to become Virgin Mary in the school play for Christmas. And we were elated. We were so excited. She was upset because she wanted to be an angel just like her other friends and have her wings, but she didn't want to be Mary because her outfit was so bland and so boring and she'd have to be rocking Jesus on stage all day long. But she was Mary and needless to say, mom and dad were very pleased with it. If you were the mother or the father of Mary in Scripture and you heard everything that you know about Mary, excited would not be the word to use as a parent. Why? Because this was a disruptive event unlike anything else. Here's, she is betrothed to be married. What that means, here's what it means. In our, in our parlance, we understand that if you're married, you're committed, okay? This is marriage and it's a forever thing. You understand that. This is marriage. Before you get married here in America, you get engaged. You get engaged. That means you give a ring or you give some symbol of your commitment, of your desire to get married. So you have engagement and then you've got marriage. That's the two-step process here in America and in many Western countries. You've got engagement and then you've got marriage. In the ancient days, there was another step right before marriage called betrothal. Okay? You're not yet married. You haven't consummated the marriage by virtue of, uh, by, uh, by virtue of having um, sexual relations in order to consummate the marriage. That hasn't happened. But for all intents and purposes, you are married. You're not living together. But it is a binding commitment to be with one another. In fact, it's so binding that if you break that betrothal, it's called a divorce. And if the person to whom you're betrothed passes away, then you're called a widow or a widower. For all intents and purposes, they are legally, actually non-legally married, but they're one step away from that. That's what it means to be betrothed. So here's Mary, teenage girl, 14, maybe a middle schooler, eighth grade, perhaps in ninth grade uh, if she was living today. Eighth grade, ninth grade girl, here she is, and they got married young in those days. So here she's getting ready to get married. She's thinking about her life with Joseph, the places that they're going to go. They don't have much money. In fact, they don't have much money at all, you can tell, because the offering that was given when Jesus was born was not the normal offering. It was the offering of a very poor couple. They just gave a couple birds as their offering. 
Very poor couple, and so she's looking busy on Pinterest, looking at DIY weddings, and how can I make this on the best budget possible? And she's really excited about this, right? Because this is what she's given her life to. Uh, last week, we had a wedding, Monica and Titus Kim, and after the wedding was done, uh, Miss Janet, who was the mother of the bride, was talking with her, and she said, she was breathing a sigh of relief, and she said, praise God for all that happened, and she said, this was a year's worth of praying and planning coming to fruition in this one day. A year's worth, right? So this is where Mary's at, right? She's excited. She's praying. She's planning. She's got all of these ideas. And then all of a sudden, bam, an angelic visitation changes everything. Angel rolls up to her crib. I don't know what happened, but, but angel rolls up there and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary is flipping out as any, any grown person would do, but she's only a teenager. The angel said to her, don't be afraid. You're going to be pregnant. And the child you're going to have is going to be the king of the world. And she's like, oh, hold up. You mean like, I, I want to have kids, yeah, so maybe like five years later, ten years later, Joe and me, we're going to have a kid and he's going to be this great kid. Is that what you're talking about? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about like right now. She's like, what do you mean right now? That's kind of weird. Like right now, You've got a baby growing in, in, like, right now? Like, that's weird. So, yep, and we got the DNA test, and guess what? Joseph is not the father. And then he says, blessed are you, Mary. Blessed, you, you're a blessed child of God. It's like, what are you talking about, Willis? Like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. Mary says, with all due respect, angel, I don't get it. I'm a virgin. I haven't been with a man before. Do you remember, this should sound vaguely familiar, Zechariah said the same thing when the same angel visited him 100 miles away and said, hey, hey, Zechariah, guess what? Lord's heard your prayer. Your wife is going to be pregnant. And Zechariah's like, I don't get it. Like, how's it, how's it going to happen? My wife is old as dirt. How's it going to happen? And the angel gets upset and says, Zechariah, go to timeout. Don't talk for nine months. Your old man, Zechariah, goes into timeout. Mary says, I don't get it. She doesn't get timeout. She gets an answer, and she gets, you're blessed. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Someone said Gabriel didn't have his coffee when he visited Zechariah. That's not what happened. Zechariah's question was a question of doubt. Like, I don't think this can happen. It's a question of closed-mindedness. No, 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 it can't. She's so old. Mary's question was a question of wonder. How could this be? Who am I? That I could be the carrier of the Savior of the world. There's a question of open-mindedness. Tell me. I want to know because that's her response. And so the angel gives her a, an explanation. And in response to it, well, how does Mary respond? Before you, what did, what did this mean for Mary? I mean, imagine yourself as a, as a middle school girl internalizing all of this stuff. What does this mean? Hey, uh, if this is really true, just to be sure, angel, um, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna tell Joseph, right? And Joseph's like, nah, that's all on you. I'll tell him later, 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 but uh, that's all on you. You go ahead and tell him, peace, and angel takes off. Like, what? I got, got to... so, wh what does this mean? Her response is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Do you understand what, what, what it took for her to say that? Yeah, it means that she's got to go to her betrothed man, Joseph, and say, hey, 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 check it. I, like, hear me out. 
first of all, bad news, good news. Okay, bad news is, it's actually good news. I, like I'm pregnant. But, but, but wait, don't, don't leave me yet. I got good news. Like it's with God. Like that's crazy. Like she's got to tell Joseph this. When an unwed woman is pregnant, do you understand? It's not just the stigma, the gossip, the talking, all of that stuff. That's true. But it's not just that. An unwed pregnant woman in that culture is treated as an adulteress. So what they would do is they would take her into the city center and they would tear her clothes and they would let her hair down as if she was a prostitute. And they would parade her in the middle of the city as a way of saying, this is what happens, as an example, this is what happens when you defile the name of our community and the name of your family. The Torah, which was the interpretation of the law, says that if a woman continues to insist that she did not commit adultery, then the punishment would be stoning. She would be killed. Plans that she has for her own life, it says in Matthew 1.19 that Joseph had planned to divorce her quietly. Her marriage was, for all intents and purposes, in her mind, it was done and over. Every, her life was over. And yet she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. It takes some kind of a theology to be able to trust that God is good in the midst of the crazy disruptions of life in order to say, you know what, I entrust my life to you, God. When things don't go as planned in your life, what thoughts come to your mind about God? Do they gravitate to, you know what, God, you're good, and because I know you're good, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand everything, but I know that you're good, and therefore, I'm going to cling to your grace. I'm going to cling to what I know when all I see is what I don't know. Because unless you believe in your heart of hearts that God is good, then you won't be able to trust God when things get hard. You may be able to trust for a little bit. You may be able to trust propped up by the faith of other people, but in the long run, you're not going to be able to do this unless in your heart of hearts you know that you know that God really is good, and you believe that. See, when she says, I am the Lord's servant, she's responding in the utmost wisdom because you see something. Wise people are also fat people, and fat people are also wise people. I'm not talking about body shape. I'm talking about theology. It's fat, which stands for faithful and available and teachable. This is the better part of wisdom. When you understand the goodness of God and you believe that at the core level, then it will manifest itself in a statement like, I am your servant, God. And that statement shows, here's what I'm willing to be. I'm going to make myself faithful to you. I'm your servant, and a servant is going to be faithful to their master. They don't have to understand everything that the master says, everything that the master wants, everything that the master intends. But the servant will be faithful, and this is what wise people are. Not only was she faithful, she was available. I'm your servant. That means wherever you send me, wherever you direct me, I will go because the most important thing in my life is I want to be what you want me to be, and I'm available to you. Do you understand? Mary wasn't chosen necessarily because of any ability in her. 
God has much more, much more been looking at your availability. A boy with five loaves of bread wasn't able to do much, but he made his lunch and himself available to God. So it's been throughout history that God's always been looking for people who are available. It's not about how much time I've got. It's not about how much money I've got. It's about you making yourself available to God. I can't do childcare for this gathering. Uh, yeah, you may not be able, but it's about making ourselves available. It's rearranging our priorities so that you could serve the purposes of God in the places where God's called you to be. Availability is not about all the excess time I have. It's about our priorities. It's about, our, it's about the way that we shift our lives in order that the kingdom would be central in life. Not only that, she was faithful, she was available, and then third, she was teachable. I am your servant. I don't understand it. Hey, but I'm a blank slate. I'm an open canvas. Write on me in order that I might learn and I might grow. See, the most important thing in our minds is what you believe about God, because if you don't believe God is good, then there's not much that you'll want to do for God. You won't trust the plan of God. If God is wishy-washy, then you're going to be wishy-washy. When you feel like doing it, you'll do it because maybe God feels like it today. But if you know in your heart that God is good, then whatever our lot, we will learn to say, it is well with my soul. I can trust God. I can trust him when things go bad if I believe in my heart that God is good. That's the first thing that we see from Mary. Number one, believe in that God is good so that you can trust him when things get hard. Number two, it's the same thing. Same thing. Wisdom is believing that God is good so that not only can you trust him when life gets hard, but you can worship him when life gets hard. It's easy for us to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, things are going badly. Life kind of stinks, but I'm going to trust God anyways. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm gonna, it's a trial by fire. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to go through it, God, because you want me to. I'm going to trust you. Fine. It's one thing to trust God. It's another thing to worship God as you're going through it. Are you going through some disruptive moments in life right now? Things not going the way that you planned for them to go. Has life become hard for you? Maybe it's something going on in your family, in your finances, in your work, in your school, in your friendships. Things aren't going the way that you thought they ought to be. Man, I thought by junior year of high school, things would be like this. Or I thought, man, I'm in college now, life would be like this. You can trust God in that, but are you worshiping God through it? That's next level, right? Next level faith. Worship God to sing in the storm, to praise in the prison. To worship in the wilderness, that's, that's what faith and wisdom look like when life gets disrupted, interrupted by the divine grace of God. First thing Mary does, what does Mary do when she finds out, all right, here's your deal. Mary says, all right, I'm, I'm ready to take it. I'm ready to trust it. The angel leaves. What does she do? Verse 39, it says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. This sounds familiar. We read this last week, right? Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting. The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women! Blessed is the child you'll bear. And then she goes off on this, this praise of God. The first thing that Mary does when she hears this news that's going to change her life, she takes a hundred-mile journey a week to 10-day journey to visit her relative, her auntie, Elizabeth. Why does she do that? Maybe because she doesn't 
want to be the teenager who's not yet married, who starts showing her pregnancy and she's got to get out of Dodge. Maybe it's that, but maybe there's something deeper. Maybe it's not a fleeing out of fear. Maybe it's a fleeing out of faith. Maybe it's a running out of faith, out of trust in the goodness of God. She goes because she knows that in the hill country of Judea, there is a wise woman named Elizabeth, and she will know exactly what to say to me. Because you see, game recognizes game, and wisdom recognizes wisdom, and she knows that I'm not just going to go to my friends who are going to tell me, are you sure you ain't do anything, you ain't messing around with Joseph? Not just going to go to my friends and say, no, nah, you shouldn't have listened to the angel, you shouldn't have said that. She's going to go to someone who's wise and who thinks the thoughts of God. When your life gets thrown into chaos, where do you go? Who do you go to? Do you have someone, even if it's a week-long journey, that you would go to in order to get the kind of wisdom that is dispensed from the dispensary of heaven's wisdom, not from the world. She said, so valuable is my Aunt Elizabeth and the wisdom like gold. And so she goes, and the first thing Elizabeth says, she doesn't say, stinks to be you, Mary. You a young thing too, and you're pregnant. Man, here's what you got to do. You got to take your name off of Google. You got to get off of all social media. You got to get rid of all those accounts because you know people are going to start talking. That's what you got to do. That's not what Elizabeth says. Why? Because she's old and she doesn't have social media. Just kidding. Because she knows the wisdom of God. She just busts out in spontaneous song of worship to God. It's like, listen, Mary, we're going to worship God. We're going to worship God because he's good. And so she just begins worshiping. And immediately after that worship service happens in verse 46, Mary busts out in song too. They're just like, it's like this dueling worship leaders, like bam, bam, just worshiping God together. And they're, the worship of God is rising from that place of disruption up into the heavens. Because you understand something. She understood something. When I don't know what to do, I need to worship God. She goes to her cousin, I'm sorry, to her auntie Elizabeth, and she says, help, what do I do? Just begins to worship, and spontaneously a song of worship comes out. Can I ask you a question? What do you do when part of you says, I, I, I should be worshiping God right now, but the rest of you just wants to worry about your situation? Like, can we... Can we embrace the fact that there's a lot to worry about in Mary's life here? There's a lot of things that we're going to change. What do you do when you know you need to worship, but you just can't worship? What do you do when you know you need to worship, but you don't really want to worship? What do you do? Can I tell you a secret? When you know you need to worship and you don't know how to worship or you don't want to worship, you don't feel like worshiping, here's what you do. You worship anyways. You worship yourself into the presence of God. The psalmists do that all the time. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But listen, I'm, uh, here, I'm just going to worship you. They worship God, and then at the end, they're like, man, that was good. <laughs> they're just writing this down themselves. They're like, I mean, they're just writing this journey for us. I don't want to do it. Life stinks. Everyone wants to kill me. But praise God from whom all blessings flow. Ah, oh, I feel much better. Thank you, God. That's what they do. 
When you don't want to worship God, you need to force yourself to worship God because sometimes you can't help but worship God. Sometimes you worship God because you feel like it. Sometimes you worship God until you feel like it. But the answer is the same. We've got to worship God. That's why you have to get into places where you're almost forced to worship. Yeah, you know, that's what she did. Let, I'm going to go to, I'm go somewhere, and I'm going to go to Elizabeth. Elizabeth worships God, and because of that, she worships God also. And it's the importance of when it's hard to worship, we need to be here. Some of you know that, man. This is why so, let's talk for a second. This is why so many of us, our spiritual lives withered away during the pandemic. Some of you are here because it's Christmas Sunday. Some of you are here because you're back from vacation, but you weren't worshiping God in the community for the better part of this pandemic or for however long it's been. You worshiped online, and in your mind, you told yourself, this is a, this is a good alternative because a long time ago, uh, Pastor DL said, we've got three options, all legitimate. There's Alpha worship, there's omega worship, and then there's online worship. And you believe that because at the time it was. We didn't want to make it, I didn't want to make anyone feel bad because you did what you thought was right. Hey, but it's been, uh, it's been like a long, long time now. And some of us are worshiping and not worshiping because it's comfortable to not worship. And you're like, oh, I'm still worshiping. Worshiping in my pajamas or worshiping uh, three days later. I'm still worshiping though. But can I ask you, how is your worship life then? When things get difficult, what's happening when we don't gather on a regular rhythm the way that God called us to worship is that, yeah, you could do it whenever you want, but your worship muscles are atrophying and weakening and withering away because it wasn't meant to be this way. We're meant to be together because when you come together in this way, you are forced to worship God. No one's making you worship God in your pajamas as you sit on your bed and turn on Harvest YouTube. No one's making you worship. In fact, probably many of you didn't worship God in terms of you didn't lift your voice. You're like, oh, this is awkward. My husband's never heard me sing before except in the shower, and I didn't think he was home. Like, this is awful. Like, oh, no, my kids don't want to hear me sing. This is terrible. And I'm like, it's, I, just, I just worship in my mind. Like, no one's making you do that. No one's forcing you to do that. But when you come here, I don't want to say force you in a bad way, but you're forced to worship God. And then you hear other people worship God. Yet, for, for some of us, you need to get around people like Elizabeth in our worship service. Not Elizabeth Lee or Elizabeth Kim or Elizabeth whoever, but Elizabeth Lee in Scripture. You know, I, I love my seat in worship. Like, up here in the front, I love it. Because every, every now and then I hear Suji saying, amen, amen. I hear her, and that makes me want to worship God more. Oftentimes, it's Elder Chris and Haley who sit behind me, and they sing loudly, and, and they make me want to worship God more. Gina Michaud is not here. She was in our first service, but she's like clapping and singing and praise the Lord. And, and people tell me, Gina's worship. I've never seen her worship because I sit in front of her, but I hear her. And her, knowing her story, knowing what she's dealing with, knowing what she's working through in her life, and she's still worshiping God, makes me want to worship God more. Some of you, you need to get into a place away from people that are not helping you to worship. Can we be honest? Can I be real for a second? Find places where you can worship God. If where you're sitting is not helping you to worship God, then get to a place. I, I said this in our prayer meeting. I said, listen, wherever you guys go, you command that airspace, and you become the worship leader of that area. Take ownership over that area of worship. Let there be worship leaders, not just on stage, but everywhere we go. 
Don't be distracted. Don't miss this. Because sometimes, many times when life is hard, we need to be around people who are going to worship God. This is the better part of wisdom here. Got around people who are worshiping God, and it caused her to sing this song of worship because there's a communal aspect to worship and trust that is so important, so important, a seven days journey important for Mary. I need to get around people. This is what they say in addiction recovery groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever groups you go to, they will say something to this effect. They will say, I get drunk, but we get sober. I am afraid, but we Take courage. I fall down, but we get up. I want to quit, but we persevere. Something powerful about that. Something extremely powerful, extremely biblical, extremely wise about that. That's why we need to be with other people and we need to do this regularly. Don't, that's why Hebrews 10 says, don't make it a habit. Don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. Because you know this. Okay, you miss once, you feel bad. You miss twice, you feel bad, but you're like, hey, you know what? It wasn't too bad. You miss three times, it starts to become a habit in your life. When you come back, some of you have come back, and today's your first time back, and you've been able to worship God in a way that you haven't ever since the last time you were back here. Because this is what we're made for. When life gets hard, you need to know, okay, you need to know that God is good. And how do you know that? A lot of times you only know that through hearing other people declare the goodness of God. So this is what Mary does, and as soon as she does, Elizabeth busts out in song, in a loud, patsy sigh voice, in a loud voice, like she busts out, bam, the worship of God. And then Mary says, all right, here we go. And one, verse 46, she starts busting out in her own song, probably the greatest Christmas carol and the earliest Christmas carol that's ever been written. It's called the Magnificat. She magnifies the Lord God. See, he says, the first line, she says, my soul, in verse 46, glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. How do you know what you're glorifying in life? you will rejoice in the things that you glorify. What are you rejoicing in? What are you rejoicing in? For some of you, it's an amazing meal. That's what you glory in. Because time and time again, that's what you rejoice in. Maybe for some of you, it's a person, it's a celebrity, it's a song. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's golf. Maybe it's football. Maybe it's fantasy football. Whatever you rejoice in, that's what you're glorifying. That's what you're giving weight to in your life. Here's a Mary glorifies. She, glor she gives weight to God, therefore she rejoices in God. If you look at this song, and we're not going to go through it, but, but listen to all the descriptions that she has of worship to God, the, the things that she knows about God. She says in verse 46, my Lord. Uh, verse 47, my Savior. Verse 48, he has been mindful. In other words, he, he is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He knows everything. Uh, verse 49, for the mighty one, he's mighty has done great things for me. He's personal with me. Holy is his name. He's holy. Verse 50, his mercy, merciful. From generation to generation, he's faithful. He's performed mighty deeds. He's strong, powerful. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. Verse 52, he's brought down rulers. He's sovereign, establishing and bringing down leaders. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry. He is generous and benevolent. Now, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel. He is a helper. These are all the things that you, 
I realize something when people ask me, people ask me oftentimes, hey, can you write me a recommendation letter for a scholarship or to get into college or for a job or for the army or for whatever it is? And one of the things I've come to recognize is that I cannot write a recommendation for someone that I don't know. It's just inauthentic and disingenuous. Mary sings a song. She's not singing a song, writing a recommendation letter for a God she doesn't know. She knows God and she knows His goodness. How does she know the goodness of God? Because she knows the Word of God. There's at least 10 references to the Old Testament Scripture in the song that she sings. She's quoting not just from one book of the Bible. She's quoting from Genesis, from Isaiah to Micah to, to 1 and 2 Samuel to Psalms. to jo- She's quoting from seven different books of the Bible as she sings this song. This is a middle schooler who's in fuego for God. She knows the Word of God. How do you prepare to worship in hard times that before times get hard, you know the Word of God in order that you will have a kindling for the fire of worship and the kindling for the fire of worship is the Word of God. Like Jesus says, He's looking for worshipers in spirit and in truth. You can't worship God if you don't know the Word of God. And so Mary does, and so she sings, and so she worships. Do you know, do you believe in the goodness of God, enough that when life gets hard, you could still worship Him. Blessed be your name on a road marked with suffering. Can you do that? Can you sing that? Can you say that? Can you worship in that way? Because our reality, my friends, is that our worship songs that you and I could create should be far better than the lyrics of Mary. Far better than the lyrics of the greatest secular songwriter. Why? Because you and I have a revelation of God that is far greater than Mary ever had. We not only have the Word of God, the Old Testament that she had, but we know who her son was in the fullest way that she never got to know. Our songs could be even more magnificent than the songs of Mary. Can you imagine this? Maybe one day, and I was invited to imagine, I was reading something earlier in in this week, but the invitation is for us to come and to, to think about Mary. Maybe it's, it's, it's in the manger or in the stable, in that, the, the barnyard of the inn where Jesus was born. Maybe she's holding in this quiet night where Joseph's like, Mary, I'm dead tired. And she's like, you go ahead and, and I'll take this shift. You go ahead and sleep. And she's holding baby Jesus in her arms. After nine insane months of people talking of the threat of divorce, of Joseph not understanding fully what's going on, of all these things, nine crazy months, she realizes something far deeper. Man, my plan was just, I'm just going to have a baby. God's plan was to rescue the world. I just thought I was going to be changing diapers. God said, I'm going to change the world. Little did she know the plan of God was infinitely greater. Maybe she's sitting there cradling her baby, Jesus, in this quiet moment of reflection after nine months are done. Maybe it's after they flee to Egypt and and they're in Egypt and and they're going through all this this, this stuff in Egypt. And they're hanging out and, and, and one night she just looks at her son, Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, you know what? Our God is really good. Our God is really good. You don't know what the last... Nine months, last year, last two years have been. Because remember, as soon as Jesus was born, 
the king of the world. The king of the Jews, Herod, wanted to kill him. And that's disruption. So an angel of the Lord tells Mary and Joseph, flee, go to Egypt until he's two and then come back because then nobody will be looking to kill him until 30 years later. Things about the last crazy months, weeks, years. After all that, she looks at her son and she says, you know what? Jesus, our God is really good. Our God is really good. Amidst all of the chaos, amidst all of the disruption, amidst all of the interruptions to our plans, God is good. Maybe as she's looking at that child, she says to him, if your God one day comes to you and he asks you to do the impossible, he asks you to be part of a mission that is bigger than you could imagine, Hear it from your mommy's lips that it's worth it, Jesus. It's worth it. Your God is good. Nothing is impossible with our God. And I pray, Jesus, that you would respond by saying, I am the Lord's servant. Not my will, but yours be done. Maybe through the Spirit of God, those words sunk into the heart of that baby Jesus, and he grew, and 33 years later, he would have to cash in those chips. Because at the age of 33, the father would make that ask of Jesus to do the impossible. Jesus, would you give your life for theirs, for the sinful people who have mocked you, who made fun of your mama, for the people who called you names and who blasphemed against me, would you go to the cross and would you give your life for them? The impossible task, would you do that? And maybe as Jesus was anguishing in the garden of Gethsemane, he remembered his teenage unwed mother and the response that she gave to the holy God in heaven when she said, I am the Lord's servant. Not my will, but yours be done. How do you know that God is really good? How do you know that God is really good? It's not going to be based on whether you got that grade that you wanted. It's not going to be based on whether you got that teacher that you wanted. It's not going to be based on whether you got placed in the right residency program or the wrong city. It's not going to be based on that. It's not going to be based on whether you got dumped by your boyfriend or girlfriend or whether your marriage is going well, that's not where you see the goodness of God. The goodness of God for all time has been forever displayed on a cross on a hill far away. They're displayed and lifted on high for all to see in order that there would never be any question as to whether God really cared, God really loves, and that God's really good. There are a million different reasons why you or I might be going through the things that we're going through, but the one reason it cannot be is it cannot be because God is not good, and it cannot be because God does not love you. When life gets thrown into chaos, when your life gets disrupted, when things don't go as planned, when unexpected things happen, when this isn't the life that you intended to live, when those things happen, 
my deepest encouragement and my plea would be, let's go together to the cross. Let's go together to the cross and let's gaze upon the one who was born on Christmas Day, who was born to die, who lived to die, who died to live, to give us hope that one day all that is wrong, we may not get an explanation, maybe we will, but all that is wrong will be made right. The lame will one day walk again. The broken will one day be whole again. The weeping in the morning will one day rejoice again in the new heavens and the new earth. That's our great and glorious future. Our God is good. He's good all the time. That you would believe that. And in believing it, that you would trust. And in believing it, you would worship. This is what the wise do. Let's pray together. Brothers and sisters, how are you doing this Sunday? What are the things that are happening in your life that cause you to question and wonder, is God really good? What are the things that are happening in your life that cause you to stay up at night and to wonder and to question, to even doubt the goodness of God? You look back at your life and you will see that God has never left you. He has never failed you. He's never abandoned you. Certainly, we have walked away from God, but he's never walked away from us. In fact, as soon as we turned around, we ran into the face of God. He was right there with us, pursuing us in goodness, love, and mercy. And he's doing that now as well. Can you pray? Lord, help me to see your goodness. Help me to trust you. Help me to worship you. Let's pray like that for a minute. If there's someone in your life who's going through a hard time, can you take a moment to pray for them? Lord, may they see the goodness of God. May they trust. May they worship. May they live and rest in that place. Yeah. Let's pray for a minute together like that, can we? Maybe committing our hearts to faithfulness and wisdom trusting in the goodness of God. Let's pray for a minute and then I'll pray for us before we sing a closing song. Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, Jesus, you taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, because you knew that we needed each other. Your name is holy. We thank you that we see more of you, so much more of you when we come together as your people. And there are very legit reasons why we can't be together as a people of God. But Lord, remind us that that's the exception, not the norm. Not out of comfort, perhaps out of conviction, perhaps out of necessity. But Lord, as soon as possible, Lord, bring us back into community, one with another. 
that we'd help each other to trust, help each other to worship when things get hard because we're pushing, lifting, encouraging, drawing the gaze of our brothers and sisters upwards to the presence of the altogether good and awesome God who gave His Son at Christmas to show the way, who gave His Son on Good Friday to be our substitute, our sacrifice, in order that we might truly find life in this life as well as in the life to come. Remind us that heaven is coming, that better things await us than what we leave behind in this fallen world. And may we long for that day when we see you, Jesus, face to face. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. May we not forget the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.